0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health
1: insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Grief fundamentally changes who we are and how we see the world. It's painful and heartbreaking, but also transformative and magical. This podcast is about grief and loss, but more importantly, it's about life and living fearlessly. I'm Kelsey Chittick, and welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve. Welcome back, everybody. We've got a great podcast for you today. This is an individual that I met a couple months ago, and everybody around us was like, you two should talk. Um, (laughs) And I was like, I I don't know him. And they're like, how do you not know him? This guy's a big deal. And I said, well, I i love to... I love to meet people that are big deals, but today the guest is Mark Groves and on Instagram you can find him on create the love. But I'm going to have him explain it, but really what he is is he is an expert in human connection and community and relationships and I've started following him ever since we met. And everything he writes about it, it like touches me. It's 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 on point. It's stuff that I'm working through from a grief perspective and just from a life perspective. So this is a little bit of a different type of podcast, which I'm really excited to have because I don't want this to only be about loss and grief in the sense of people dying. There's so much more to that experience when you lose somebody. And so Mark, can you tell us kind of how you got into this space and you know what made you start this movement that you have currently going on?
2: Oh yeah. Well, first off, thanks for having me. And you know, I, the phone where we met was like our friends, 40th loud <laughs> bar, not, not a real chance to get to chat about things on a deep level. So I appreciate you having me on. I mean, my, I've always been really fascinated about human behavior, human psychology. I mean, as a young, as a teenager, I was really interested in my own experiences relating a lot of my Teen years, I can remember sitting on the couch talking with my dad about, which is probably different for most people. But I was very blessed to be able to talk to my dad about relationships and what I was going through, and where probably most people's moms are saying like, "How's your heart?" Which my mom did. My dad was very much more the one who wanted to sort of philosophize how people move through the world, and you know the challenges I was having and relating that we all have. And it wasn't until my late twenties when I went through, I got engaged and, and I didn't really want to get engaged. And that didn't really make sense to me that I got engaged, you know? And you know, when I ended that engagement, I just looked back and I thought like, why do people do things they don't want to do? Like, why do relationships end? And I feel like a failure when I actually feel more connected to myself than I ever have. And, and that was really hard to reconcile. Cause I've, I sort of, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to is I felt sort of kicked off the sort of momentous train of life. You know, everyone get married by this age, have kids by this age, do this, that, you know, we sort of have these standard cultural narratives and they vary a little bit by different countries and different places. And all of a sudden here I was 27, right on track. I was really knocking down all those boxes, you know, and then I chose to get off the bus and all of a sudden I saw the bus going by me and i realized that i hadn't really asked myself big questions in my life i hadn't really although i'd chosen my life i had really done it quite unconsciously i I'd, I'd been afraid to take big risks i'd been afraid to lose things i'd been i did the i did my undergraduate degree in finance i don't even like finance why the hell did i do that so i started to study romantic relationships. At the time I was in the pharmaceutical industry. So, you know, I I knew how to read clinical trials and research. So I really nerded out on that. But what was also occurring simultaneously is I started to create, I started to build a shelving unit. And then I really started, I'd never been creative because I'd always been taught that artists will never make money and you'll never be a good provider. So I'd been detached from this part of myself. And I read the book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and that was the first time I ever even thought about life being more than just a bunch of meat suits having kids and trying to make it work. I, I felt really connected to something so much more than myself.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, God, you, you know, you were lucky because you hit that midlife crisis at twenty seven.
2: yeah well let's open early life (laughs) crisis i'm in but yeah (laughs) right
1: right Uh, the typical one that that sounds like it happens around between 40 and 50 you just i
2: think i had another one at 40 so i think
1: we get to have i
2: got a red convertible too so that was i made it that you couldn't get more And then my friend wrote it off just as a just as a great story.
1: Right. Well, that's that's obvious that you were in a bad spot if you bought that at that time. Because (laughs) whenever you see a guy on that or like a brand new motorcycle, you're like, uh oh. You're
2: like, he's either newly divorced, did he just buy an Ed Hardy shirt? Okay, Uh we've got some problems.
1: No, but it's interesting, you know, and I love what you said about your dad. And my husband was very much the heart philosopher in our family. And there's a big void with that with my kids now, because there's something about a man talking to a man about life mm. different than the sound of a mother's voice. Because I think mothers talk so much and we're constantly giving feedback and advice and instruction that for men that have a, a, a father that sits down with them and says, what does it feel like that you and Julie broke up? That's that's magical. And it's probably part of the reason you got where you are today, because that's a different type of conversation. And there's a depth and a pace that men have with conversation when they do connect spiritually and on deep levels, that is as beautiful as it can get. And it's really one of the things I most missed about. I I most miss about my husband. And I think that my kids will miss the most because my advice is very annoying, (laughs) very wordy, very judgy and very practical. Uh, That's, that's not, that's not, I don't think the answer for most spiritual discussion. So in terms of you saying that you missed the bus or the bus was passing you by, I think a lot of people that go through loss mm-hmm. whether it be they break up an engagement or they actually lose somebody that dies that they kind of had planned on doing life with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a really great way to describe what it feels like when you when a relationship ends, however it ends. What can you walk us through what, what have you found through all the people that you talk to? And I mean, you have so many people that follow everything that you do online and say, what do you see is the thing that helps people survive? I mean, what is it that when you hit that spot where the, where you go, well, like my life was supposed to go this way, mm. h- how do I pivot? How do I, and when society doesn't even show away, I mean, I, I'm a widow at 45 with two teenagers, not exactly on my vision board, that I made back when Oprah (laughs) told me to, you know, what what do you tell people? I mean, what's the conversation around that? Or what have you learned from people that you see are thriving after loss? Whatever Mm. that looks like.
2: Such a beautiful question. You know, I think what I've learned through my own grief is you got to go through it. You know, you know, there's a saying that grief is love that has nowhere to go, but I I don't know that I actually agree with that. And the reason I say when I've experienced immense grief from loss of someone I love or a relationship, yeah, you're grieving a future that you imagined, you know, that, that you really were sort of moving the momentum of your life towards. And, you know, especially when you don't have time to prepare for it, that's it's like you hit a dead end and, and you're sort of lost, you know, you're in an abyss and maybe spinning and maybe there's lots of words and lots of feelings. What I've found is I mean, all the greatest learnings, all the times that I've felt most connected to my soul have been in my grief, you know, and I've really started to learn and, and hopefully continue to deepen that grief is love, you know, that there's this sort of sense of, I, I think that we normally go through relating with sort of this idea that it's always positive and it's, uh, you know, you're, you're in the honeymoon phase, you're in the elation, you're in the whatever it might be. But I think unconsciously, we're always processing the loss of a partner, you know, because it is true, you know, but if you look, we are a very death phobic society, we're death phobic cultures. And I think there's a lot of reasons to that. I think that's due to colonization. I think that's due to removing ourselves from our own land, going to other people's land, removing them from their land, colonizing their connection to the earth. You know, and, and the reason I say all that is because, like, I remember listening to Alan Watts once, and he said, follow death all the way to the end. Like, follow the concept of death to the place that scares you most. Because once you do that, you're free. Amen. And I don't know, like, I think when you know the value of grief, you don't try to rob people from it. You don't try to save people from it. You know, you don't try to say like, it'll all get better because you don't know and you're kind of lying to them, yeah. you know, but what a hard thing to do. And, you know, he said you, you, your husband was the speaker of the heart in the family, but I'm like, your podcast is kind of evidence that that's not true, but look at what you've created from it. And I remember saying to my friend, Megan, who's a teacher in the area of grief, She said, I remember she was saying, people always tell me, look what I've created from this. She's like, but there's not a moment that I wouldn't say, fuck all this. I want that back. And I was like, wow, yeah.
1: And yeah, that's interesting because like you said, I mean, I I honestly am happier than I have ever been in my life. I am more fun. I mean, did you see me on the dance floor at that birthday you were, party?
2: I'm gonna say you can cut a rug.
1: Yeah, and that was and that wasn't. I was in a long dress. Like if you, if I had if had you a had had a mini, up, it would have been a it would have been a whole different ball game. Yeah, back to I, the days at the club. Exactly. Or you know what? I'm actually hitting the clubs now because I got married. I met my husband. When I was 19. We were engaged at 23, and I had babies at 26. I really. So
2: now you get to live it up.
1: Boy, I have really taken a turn. <laughs> the floozy, I am that.
2: I am. Mrs. I haven't Robinson. heard that term in yeah. so
1: long. But I, it's funny because I, I just like you were saying. I love the idea of following death to the end. My whole life, I've been terrified of loss. I was mm. terrified. I mean, I always had serious boyfriends because I, I love having a partner. It's my mm-hmm. it's my jam. I'm a partner type of person. It, it really <laughs> bugs me right now when people are like, "Just be alone, get to know yourself." I'm like, "Listen, fuckers, I knew myself before he died."
2: <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, like I'm so confused. already did that. I'm ready.
1: I hate when people say like, why don't, "Why don't you spend this time getting to know who you are?" I'm like, "No, I that's not that doesn't ring true for me." It wasn't that I didn't know who I was. It's I didn't like a lot about it because I was a lot. I was afraid or I was mm-hmm. uptight. I've always known who I wanted to be. I just didn't know how to get there. And grief gets you there quickly because you have nowhere to go.
2: It's not optional, you know, it's like the roots of the earth. I think of a tree and it, but it almost like wraps around your legs, you know, and holds you down. That's the thing about grief that it just roots you. There's, you have to go to the depths of your soul and I think because the culture doesn't know a way to do that because we lost our indigenous practices, whatever we're indigenous to. Because if you look at the relationship that tribes have to death, there's such a different, or even the Irish, you know, the Irish have wakes, they have celebrations of life and maybe they drink a little too much to, to not have to pay attention to that. But there is something about stepping into sort of the cyclic nature of life while well, recognizing the grief that obviously comes from loss. I don't want to sound like I'm minimizing it, but rather to, to really, you know, Francis Weller talks about it being in the Negreto, like being in the darkness, mm-hmm. that the soul dwells in the darkness, that that's where the soul is. But our culture is about ascension, right? It's about rising, get to know yourself, do this, do that. But it's like, no, go deep. Look at our industries. If you're depressed, then you need a pill as opposed to why are you depressed? Is it a natural experience? Like I think even in the DSM, they changed before bereavement didn't require treatment and they changed that. And I'm like, but where's, there's richness in bereavement, but it requires community to bereave.
1: Right. And it's, that's funny. Cause I think that's recent. I think it's the last couple, maybe five yeah, years. I think it's like
2: five years. About. And I'm
1: like, you just, you just diagnosed dying as a disease, like dealing with dying as a disease. That's a push. I think we both run pharmaceuticals. We talked about this.
2: Yeah. Um, and something you need to be safe from, as opposed to like explore. Right. And, yeah. and you need people around you to remind you that there's still light, a hand to say, I've got you. Right. Right. You know, that's, I think really that's part of community, you know, is, is to be initiated into life's processes. You know, but I remember when I went through a really painful breakup, I mean, so painful. And I was, I I was sober too throughout. I am sober, but I was, I'm sober-ish. I hit the, I hit the edible every once in a while.
1: I don't drink anymore either, really. I mean, a glass of wine, but I think alcohol is a real depressant.
2: Yeah, it's certainly not not your... (laughs) Yeah, I listen every to each of their own interests. I really like the edge and I often fell off it. So, but for me, I was going through this breakup and man, I, I was at that time, which I'm sure people can understand where, when I was doing this sort of exchange of like, is being alive better than not being alive, it was tipping to not for a bit, but I was conscious of it. You know, I knew that I'd moved through this. I understood that I had enough health to be able to recognize that. But there were moments where I just called a friend to be there because I just needed someone in a room with me, but I didn't need them to hug me. I didn't need them to walk me through my grief. I really just needed them as a lifeline. And then, you know, I think about those, there's a week I can think in my mind specifically where I was in the forest, which like, why would you go to the forest by yourself when you're in the deepest grief? And I, I learned so much in that time. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and three hundred and sixty five day returns on your next order. Quince dot com slash style.
1: Yeah, people always say, like, Kelsey, how did you get so? How did you get to where you are? You seem so happy, and I, I am really happy, and I'm grieving. They both live at the same right. time, but I, if I think about what's ha- what brought me there, I think nature's probably, and nature and quiet, I would say saved me along with good people that did mm. exactly what you said, which is find your people that will, you know, in the beginning when somebody dies or there's a breakup, there's, especially for women, we all get together, we chatter about it. What do you need? What, or, you know, you try to make it better or you take them out and you get wasted and go dancing <laughs> and you Danced
2: on a few speakers post-breakup, hundred sobriety
1: Yeah. And- you sit around and they say you need to just go have some fun and and truthfully what what you need if you're a friend trying to support someone is just to be there and have no opinion about where they are but just tell them that you love them and it's it's going to be it's going to be okay if you so choose at some point because people are dying all the time and what i think And people are breaking up all the time. And this idea that you're going through something that's so unique and it's so painful, but you don't realize all over the world, people are going through this exact same experience. And so at some point, like you said, you get to choose if it's going to break you down and change you, or if you're just going to be angry about it. And the quickest way to find something bigger is to walk into a forest or get into an ocean.
2: Mm. Mm. It's beautiful.
1: Or or climb a rock.
2: When you think about like our, what is the greatest challenge we have in loss? It's accepting loss, you know. And I know they talk about the five stages of grief, and I don't get, I don't know. That's not linear, and that's not. You know, because you're going to be mad, and then you're not going to accept. You know, you go through all the things, and to say it's five stages, I think it's just five. It's fucking ninety-seven stages. Why now. did
1: they do? I mean, I, I, whenever I see that, I th- want to throw up on the book. I'm like, what? What? what about, are, <laughs> there, are there not? Could there be seven? What if there was only I, the whole idea that they tried to put it into like a wheel?
2: Well, isn't that the truth about the whole process? Like, even the idea that bereavement is something you need to be safe from, you know, with a pill that humans can. St- created this building magically, you don't have to be sad anymore. I mean, it's it's the arrogance of humanity. And you know, the other side of pain is that pain is often narcissistic. And I mean that in the sense that pain really, like you were saying, has this idea that I'm the only one. And I there's something sort of unique about that. There's nothing to be hated on about that. There's something sort of unique because I think it has us ruminate and, and really sit in it. And when we are ruminating, we feel that sense of love right? We feel we're sort of addicted to the thought of them. And as soon as you begin to share much like your podcast offers, you start to see that you're not the only one. No. And like you said, like people are dying all the time. That's not to minimize the experience of loss, but to say there is a way through this. And the thing that I see most with people moving through grief is they're just moving, but it's not necessarily like take a step a day. Like sometimes that step is eating popcorn or ice cream and watching Netflix. It's just not staying there. Right. You know, moving your body. I mean, the things that are most important when we go through change are what we call anchors, but often anchors are the first thing to go out the window when we're going through change or loss. And so we have to sort of consciously, deliberately you know, instead of wine, we do meditation. You know, it's not to say that wine's bad, but I'm saying like there has to be, instead of what someone might call dark coping mechanisms, we go to light coping mechanisms. And this is just, you know, there's no perfect way. You know, it's like I think often we sort of compare our journey to, well, I'm a, someone else is at stage four. And, you know, my friend Megan Devine, who works with people through grief, who lost her partner in her late 30s, she's like, Fuck those stages! Like, fuck all that bullshit! Like, there's no perfect way to move through grief. There just is.
1: Yeah, I've never, I've never understood the stages because they were never stages for me. They all drop down on, on at the same time, <laughs> right? And, They're and like then, matrix. And then they drop off, and next thing you know, I'm, you know, doing mushrooms and dancing on table, having the time of my life, happiest <laughs> I've ever been, and I'm like, that wasn't in the pie chart. I who expected
2: this. <laughs> well, psychedelics—what an interesting thing wow, too. I was listening a to a, me. yeah, I was listening to a um, podcast where they were discussing a study with people with PTSD, and the I think it was soldiers or veterans. Yeah. Um, and I I'm going to quote the numbers a little wrong, but essentially the people who did a psychedelic journey actually cleared their PTSD much quicker, you know, much more significantly. And, you know, when you look at the research on moving through things, you know, there's post-traumatic stress and then there's post-traumatic growth. The difference really being that people who experience post-traumatic growth are just using their experiences as opportunities. You'll hear the spiritual community say, everything has a purpose. You know, God gave you this and you're like, I don't want it. (laughs) You know, so I think that can feel very bypassy. But what I do like to think and say is that listen, regardless of whether God gave it to you or it just happened and it sucks, you do have to do something with it. And it can be the most potent rocket fuel to you becoming. Because I think there can be also guilt associated with losing one's partner, however that may be, and all of a sudden thriving. Like stepping into your fullest expansion, stepping into the dreams you always wanted to do. Like there can be a sort of guilt to that. And I have a friend who lost her husband on a run actually, when they were uh, on a trip and he's a young fit guy.
1: That's how they do it. They, those young fit ones, neck, one day chicken, one day feathers. You're like, what, what
2: seriously? What? Right. What?
1: I mean, I have so many friends. They just, these guys are just dropping dead and I think it's so rude to do <laughs> such a thing, you know? Just, it is.
2: Cause you know, this guy was like, he had extra abs and yeah. all of a sudden he passed on a run and I think it was in Paris.
1: That's rude too. That's rude, city. right.
2: City romantics. There you City go. too, like, oh, city of death now. Perfect. Yeah. But she was saying that, like, one of the greatest challenges she had was that the family, his family, expected her to grieve a certain way. And, and she did grieve her way. But, you know, and I think that can be a hard thing is other people have expectations of how you should grieve. Yeah. But what a way to liberate oneself to say, no, like, if it matters enough what you're going through which I think is true about all life's painful experiences, is you have this opportunity to say, no, this is my fucking experience. This is my life. And you're liberating yourself from cultural expectations. You know, and that that's much like an engagement ending for me, liberated me in one way. But you keep seeing all the layers that require liberation. Other people's ideas of how you're supposed to live your fucking life, no matter what it is. Like, fuck all that.
1: That's been the gift of grief for me. I mean, I never... I had never done a drug. I had never had true fun. I've always been uptight type A, a really good pharmaceutical rep, selling heartburn medicine with all I had, wearing <laughs> some type of banana republic suit and a sturdy heel.
2: I had know. a banana republic suit for sure. <laughs> you know, I think we probably it. ran
1: into each other. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> what the, the good news is if you, and I, I talk about this after loss or breakup, you know, having a really clear intention about who you want to be a week a month, a year, and five years from now. If you can have some type of North Star at, at the type of the type of life you want and ha- what that feels like pretty early on, and I was able to do that because my husband died when I was in Jamaica. And on the way back, I knew I had to tell my nine and 12-year-old kids that he had died in front of them. They, they knew he had, had a heart attack, but they didn't know what had happened. And I got really clear that it was my job from the time I landed, you know, till I got to them, in LA that that I was going to make sure they knew we were going to be fine and we were right. going to have a great life and it was going to be dicey for a while but like I've got this and you've got this and I love what you said I I don't know that God gave it to us or didn't give it it happened life happens right. it doesn't matter because we then chose that we were going to we were going to live a joyful life in honor of him because in terms of what my family wanted, they wanted us to thrive. And Nate's family wanted us to thrive. I was really lucky to have people That's that were beautiful. like, go have sex with strangers, go have fun. <laughs> you know, like my mother-in-law's News like, protection, yes, exactly. especially. Yeah.
2: Yes, just, yeah.
1: exactly. But there was, and so be that friend that says like whatever you need to do yeah. let, and let people go places you didn't think they would ever go. I mean, and, and speaking of, you know, psilocybin, I, I obviously did that about nine months after with some of our friends that you know. And when I say it changed my life fundamentally,
0: I, I mean, it was And,
1: and whenever with, with the book and anytime I do a podcast, that's what I get the most DMs about. And it's not a quick fix. It just, for me, it was a neural pathway that had never even been opened. And so when mm. it did, the way I looked at his death and the way I experienced it and the connection I I. Was able to rekindle with him changed my life.
2: That's beautiful. Um,
1: and I was, you know, I barely took Advil before that. So it was a big <laughs> deal, you know? <laughs> so I yeah, do that's think- that's a different
2: kind of painkiller. There's no yeah, doubt.
1: Yeah. And I do think that the more we walk towards that pain or towards those questions, the easier it gets. And I also believe that part of me will always miss him and that's mm. okay. And part of me will have days that it's always- Crappy, And I'm sure if you're, if any relationship, there was good stuff. That's why you were in it. So there's always going to be moments, but I sit with them now and I kind of just, I let them wash over me and I just, I'm not afraid anymore of hard things. I don't really want a bunch of new ones. If God's listening, you know, I'm, I'm good for (laughs) it.
2: Like, listen, okay. We don't need to up level. We got our shit handled for a little bit. I'm
1: fine. I'll, I'll just stop right here. Thank you so much. I feel like I've done (laughs) a lot of good work, but yeah, I think I love what you say about, I mean, I think we all know that the hard times are are the juicy ones, because I remember the Kelsey before this, everything was fine, but I was just holding on for dear life that nothing would go wrong. And I was just mm-hmm. so scared. And now I'm like, I don't want a lot of hard things because they are hard. And, you know, it's not, it's not enjoyable most of the time, but the freedom I feel, not being right. afraid of it, Feels like I'm on drugs. Maybe that's yeah, why I'm not drink anymore. You
2: can face it. You can confront it. You know, I think that is part of it, though, because like the pain, you know, Gabor Mates talks about how the wrong question is why the addiction, the right question is why the pain. Yes. And really, we numb this experience of disconnection or this experience of anxiety that we have about unpredictable futures. Cause we haven't explored them. We haven't explored death. We haven't explored love. You know, Ram Das, I was listening to him not long ago and he was saying, eventually you realize like you recognize as you do the journey that suffering is grace. Yeah. And he said, and here you see other people suffering and, and they're looking at you and you're creating grace from it. And I think about that a lot of, again, like when I say grace, I don't mean not grieving. I mean that you're sort of connected to something greater, whatever word that might be for people. But for me, that's that's a common experience that actually connects us to grieving. That actually is what makes us human. Part of the psilocybin research shows that when inmates take psilocybin, they're less likely, the ones who have a psilocybin, just one psilocybin trip, are less likely to reoffend. And when they explore why, it's because they experience a connectedness to more. And in doing that, their crimes are then, they experience the impact that it might have, which is such a beautiful thing. And you, I mean, my, I did psilocybin when I was in my like late teens and early 20s but not with an intention, like a medicinal intention. Although I experience certain certainly connectedness. But the last couple times I've done it, I do it with intention. I put music on. 100%. I know on Spotify, there's like a John Hopkins psilocybin playlist. And that music takes you to other realms.
1: Good to know. Yeah,
2: yeah it's pretty good. It's pretty good.
1: That's awesome. Well, I could talk to you forever because I... I get what you're saying. I think your insights are beautiful and they are, they're important. We don't, we don't have these, our generation was raised by people who stuffed grief and right. they had a lot of war and a lot of loss and a lot of pain and a lot of, they had the depression, they had Vietnam, they had World War I, World War II. We had this kind of beautiful 25 year.
2: We had a good run. It's now just, come to an end, but we had, end.
1: Yeah, we had a really good run. Yeah, we had a really
2: good run. we were did. born in
1: the 70s? Late seventies, eighties. You, you, we really didn't have big problems. We just we had didn't have problems.
2: computers. That was great.
1: We didn't have phones, but we didn't have a big war. And even when we got to Iraq, most of us were very far removed from it. It was something we watched on CNN. We were teenagers, yeah, yeah. And life was, and people were making money, and you know, we were watching Wolf on Wall Street, and things were just just yes. running, you know,
2: <laughs> boiler room, and
1: Boiler room. life was good. And, and now I think this is our time to do some deep spiritual work. And it, you know, we are being set up for that. So I greatly appreciate your time. I could keep talking, but we try to keep this podcast
2: yeah, short
1: because I talk too much and no one wants to hear that. <laughs> so, but maybe we can get on another one and continue this because I think your ideas aren't things that we have spoken about on this podcast as of yet. So Mark, I'm so glad I met you. And mm-hmm. I can't wait to go to another 40th birthday party where I wear a shorter dress and really take, and it,
2: really low. And take it, it low
1: on the dance floor. Yeah, You know
2: yeah. what? Hit the flow, Exactly. As they say. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep going. It gets better.
0: Hold up. What was that?